inside Scripture's box. Thanks, Shane and Joe. Um, as Shane said, my name is Rosa. I have the pleasure of reading the Bible for us this evening. Um, so our first passage comes from 1 Kings chapter 3, starting at verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important, important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant here is among the people you have chosen, a great people too, too numerous to count or to number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will will never have be so there will have never been anyone like you nor will there ever be moreover i will give to you what you have not asked for both wealth and honor so that your lifetime will have no equal among kings and if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as david your father did i will give you a long life the second bible reading comes from luke um, chapter 2 and starting at verse 41 Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was with their company, they traveled on for another day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who had heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He said, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Thanks so much, Rosa. Good evening, everyone. It really is wonderful to be with you this Christmas Eve. We're continuing, as uh, Shane and Joe alluded to, in our series Shepherd, and tonight's talk is entitled Shepherd's Delight, and uh, as, as it's a delight for me to be with you, we shall look at the scriptures to see what it is that delights the heart of the person that we've been hearing about, Jesus. 
But I just wanted to share with you briefly a, a little story to kick us off, because recently some friends of ours um, won a prize in a competition, and their prize for this competition was a king-size bed. Can you imagine having a king-size bed? Can I just see, does anybody in this room have a king-size bed? There you go, we have got some folks who've got king-size beds. I mean, how big is that bed? Is there actually a room that can fit a king-size bed? My wife and I, we have a queen-size bed, and we're very comfortable, thank you very much. And look at the size of me. So what, what, do you, what on earth would you have a king-size bed for? Or just what is a bed fit for a king? Well, I wonder whether in, in your mind's eye it might be something a little like this. Is that a bed fit for a king? Or maybe something a little more like this the king-size bed. We're finishing this series called Shepherd. It's a series in which we see something of Jesus as unique in history. Jesus protecting and feeding his sheep as a shepherd, God's people like a prophet, seeking and caring for them like a priest, and leading and gathering them like a king not simply as a shepherd would do for sheep, but how a king would gather and lead his people, indeed God's people. The big idea for tonight from God's word is simply this, that Jesus is the king who gathers and leads his people. And that's us. And that's a good thing. Can I lead us in prayer? Would you join me? Let's pray to God, our Father in heaven. Father God, we're blessed to be together on this Christmas Eve. It's a joy to sing about your son, Jesus. And it's a special, precious night. We pray, Father, that you would do something by the power of your spirit in our hearts tonight. Something profound. For some of us, to see with a freshness the love you've lavished upon us in your son Jesus. For some of us to rest in the love of Jesus. For some of us perhaps to come back to Jesus that we have been lost sheep. And maybe, Lord God, for some of us for the first time to fully understand by your grace just who Jesus is and what he has done for us in gathering us and leading us together tonight. All these things we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as I said, we are looking at these qualities of Jesus who fulfills the roles of prophet, priest, and king, and tonight particularly the role of king. And Jesus is the one who gathers and leads his people. And the first of three points I want to make tonight is considering what it means to be fit as a king because that first reading that we had, we encountered the person of Solomon who was one of the original kings for God's people. And in the section of the Bible just before the reading that we had, we learned that Solomon entered into a marriage contract with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He married Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, In those days, that was a good contract to have to ensure peace in the region. And he brought her to the city of David. He brought her in as a foreigner. 
into the covering, if you like, of God, the one true God, and he went through the process of building a palace and a temple and a wall around Jerusalem. And in those days, uh, the people and the nations around only knew to worship at a whole bunch of different shrines. But Solomon knew God, and he loved God, and he continued to seek to live in God-honoring ways. And so he worshipped particularly at this place, Gibeon, where he sacrificed a thousand offerings. That's a lot of offerings. That's a lot of animals sacrificed on an altar. But God sees what's going on in Solomon's heart, and he says to Solomon, you ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. You're the king of my people. And Solomon, who's quite a humble, self-effacing guy, says, well, my father David was king, and look, here I am, God. You may be the ruler of a kingdom in place of my father, and I'm too young for this job. I'm a young man. I'm a mere child. I don't, I don't know the ropes. I don't know the ins and outs of ruling a people. I, I'm in the middle of, of a people that you've chosen who are so numerous we can't count them. And, and in essence, Solomon just says, help! He says, here's what I want. I want you to give me a heart that listens to you. I want you to give me a heart that is wise, that I will discern well and rule your people well. Care for them and gather them and lead them. Help them know the difference between right and wrong. And you know, the Lord God was delighted with Solomon's response. He says, this is a good thing to ask. And you haven't asked for long life and you haven't asked for lots of wealth and you haven't asked for the death of your enemies you have sought to govern and lead my people well, so I will bless you with wisdom unprecedented in history, for which Solomon was renowned. And then God, because God's God, as a bonus said, and I'm going to give you <laughs> lots of good stuff too. In fact, you're going to have wealth and glory that you didn't even ask for. There's going to be nobody like you. And so Solomon's finest hours... His wisdom came from a humble fear of the Lord and obedience to the Lord. And indeed, in our Bibles today, we have some of his scriptural wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs and the book of Proverbs. And he had a heart after God's and he had ears that listened to God's voice and he led and gathered God's people well. But you know what? He was only a man, he wasn't perfect. And in fact, over time, he began in foolishness to forget to listen to God and he began to dilute his fear of the Lord. And in fact, wise King Solomon, whom we heard God say to, I'll give you what you ask for, wise, discerning heart, and there'll be nobody like you, in time it turned out that he was not such a good fit after all. No surprise to God because God had anticipated this way back in the book of Deuteronomy. We see that God knew this was going to happen. But King Solomon, after a while, became so jolly popular that everybody wanted to marry him. Everybody wanted to have a contract with him, a covenant with him. And he had many foreign wives. And the problem with foreign wives is they worship foreign gods. And after a time, Solomon's heart started to turn to those little g-gods. And what was it that Solomon filled his big king-sized bed with? Far too many foreign women. And he filled his life and his rule with far too many gods that were not God. And in time, God said to him, enough is enough. You're not looking after my people rightly anymore. You're not pointing them towards me. I will tear this kingdom from you and give it to your servant. 
And I guess if there's one lesson that I want us to take away tonight from, from Solomon's experience is that we learned that nobody's immune from the allures of the world. We're all corruptible. If one of the wisest men on earth can fall away from God, then so can we, and we must guard our hearts and be vigilant, trusting in the Lord over ourselves. Solomon failed in the end to lead and gather God's people, and so it was that there needed to be a better shepherd, a better king. And that's what we begin to see. The great thing about the failing of Solomon is that it it showed that that there was somebody who was better to come. In the line of, of David and Solomon, someone who would fill the king-sized bed. You see, we had our second reading from Luke, didn't we? And earlier in that account of the life of Jesus, we see how Jesus came into this world as an infant child. All of us do that, don't we? We come into the world as little infant children. We all start out in that way. And we read that Jesus, though, was born into humble circumstances. He he was put into a, a manger, a feeding trough for animals. It's an inglorious way to come into the world, isn't it? But God kept his promise because Jesus was born in the line of David and Solomon. But indeed, he wouldn't just be a king for God's chosen people in that day, the Jews. Rather, this king would be known by all nations because Jesus was the king. This is the unique nature of Jesus. Because in case you didn't know it, he wasn't just born of Mother Mary, his earthly mother. But he didn't have an earthly father. Joseph, about whom we read, was simply his adopted dad. Jesus was conceived supernaturally by the Spirit of God, which means that he is the Son of God, and that makes him unique in history. And if if you don't believe me, you can read the life story. We've got copies of, of this life story available on the table, covered in tinsel out the back. If this is news to you, just grab one and have a read and see what you make of it. The claim of, of this author and many it is that Jesus was both God in the flesh and a mere man. In fact, he had to be both, to be able to relate to God's people and to be able to fulfill that ultimate role as saviour and king. There's a very clever lady. She's a British... It's not, she's not clever just because she's British. She's clever because she's a British essayist and novelist and a theologian. She said this years ago, and she puts it beautifully. The incarnation, that is God coming into the flesh in the world... The incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole human experience from trivial irritations of family life and cramping restrictions of hard work and the lack of money and the worst of the horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair and death. He was born into poverty and he suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it was well worth his while. We're shown a little snapshot of Jesus' story from that second reading that we had. Um, A young lad, when he was 12 years old, as we heard, he and his family went to the Passover feast. Um, As they went to this feast, and it was over, his family left for home, and his mum and dad somehow managed to leave him behind. 
Now, just in case we get raise an eyebrow and get a bit too sceptical about their poor parenting, let me just ask if there is a single parent in this room who has not at some point been in a shopping centre and looked round for their little boy or girl and just gone, what? And they've gone. Now, nine times out of ten, of course, they've gone and hidden in the rails or something and they're having a little fun game that we as parents knew nothing about. But it's a real shock to the system, isn't it, when you lose a little child? Even a 12-year-old, if they've gone for a while, this lad was gone, what, it was overnight. It was a very sobering experience for the parents. And we go, you're rubbish parents, Mary and Joseph, aren't you? But actually in those days, that massive trip that they would have made all the way to Jerusalem, they would have done as a bunch of families in a kind of caravan together. So there would have been loads of kids running around. There would have been loads of parents around. And it's highly likely that in, in the busyness of life, they just kind of misplaced him. And, and would they have thought to go to the temple of all places? Because that's where they found him, seated amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And there they are, the teachers, blown away by Jesus' 12-year-old answers. And we've got to say, this is a pretty kooky situation, right? Now, his parents were upset and hurt. You just imagine that shrill moment when... His mother, Mary, walked into the room and saw him after 24 hours or so without him. I mean, it's, it's going to be an emotional reunion, isn't it? Where were you? But that kind of worry and upsets described here. It's only natural. Where have you been, young man? What have you done to us? My, your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. And Jesus says this extraordinary thing. He says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I'd been my father's house? Because he's the son of God, his heavenly father. And I think there's quite something quite profound in, in this story as we see Jesus growing up. Because clearly, he's coming of age and self-awareness. The uniqueness of Jesus is both God and man. And, and so, what do we expect as a response here? Well, we see that the King Jesus gets it right he responds by obedience both to his heavenly father and to his earthly parents. And he goes back with them. And, and Mary holds these things deeply. Remember, she knows who he is. And Jesus matured and he grew in wisdom and maturity and was blessed by both God and people. We see Jesus holding that tension of serving both his father in heaven and honoring his mother and father on earth. And he grows in wisdom. And we wonder why did Luke feel it's important for us to know this? Well, it's just part of the reality of Jesus' life. Their family life is in some ways no different to ours. But on another level, he is utterly unique because he is the good and wise king, indeed the king of kings. And what we see as we continue through the story of Jesus' life is that this king-size bed is fit for the king of kings. You see, Jesus' life was always lived in the shadow of the cross. His destiny is from, as we sang about, cradle to cross. We sang about Jesus as prophet, priest, and king, but we sang it more because Jesus gives God's people, those who have faith in him as saviour and king of kings, the assurance that we might be reconciled with God and that we might have eternal life forever. See, towards the end of this story, we see the culmination of Jesus' life as he ends up on a cross. We see that he did nothing wrong other than to make the claim that he was God's son. 
and that he had the authority to forgive sins. All the good things that we don't do, all the bad things that we do do, those things that God says, they just create a barrier between you and me. Jesus says, I'll take it upon myself. And there's two criminals who are crucified next to him and both of them respond very differently. First one mocks Jesus. He says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other, however, he asks forgiveness and Jesus forgives him and promises a place with him in his kingdom. See, Jesus' death on a cross cleanses sins. Jesus' death on a cross brings forgiveness with God if we would just ask. And we need to know our sins forgiven. And knowing God's forgiveness changes everything. Do you know God's forgiveness? Have you been walking in the light of his forgiveness? Have you been refreshed in knowing that your sins can be utterly forgiven? No, not mine, you say. (laughs) There's things you don't know about me, God knows. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Forgiveness for sins is available to you and you and me. See, this is why we're about to sing this remarkable carol and we've been singing remarkable hymns and carols tonight oh holy night the stars are brightly shining it is the night of our dear saviour's birth long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth a thrill of hope a weary world rejoices doesn't our world need to rejoice in its weariness, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees and hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. You see, Jesus rescues us from sin for heaven, but in doing so, his Father in heaven exalts him as king. And this is Jesus. He is Savior in death, and he is king in his resurrection. And his delight is to be a shepherd to you and to me. His delight is to seek and save those who are lost and to gather us together as he has done tonight. Our shepherd. You know, there are those who are in poverty and there are those who are in riches who know that Jesus is the king of kings. Some years ago, the most famous monarch in our lifetime, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, one of the chaplains of Her Majesty, had been preaching on the return of the Lord Jesus and he was addressed by the Queen who said to him, how I wish that the Lord would come in my lifetime. This chaplain said to Her Majesty the Queen, how is that so, Your Majesty? And her whole countenance lighted by deep emotion to reply, I would so love to lay my crown at his feet. This is the essence of the Christian faith, to call Christ King of Kings in surrender, to join with kings and queens who will lay their crowns down before his throne into eternity. We read of a day that will come in the future when there will be all those who lay their crowns before the throne and say of Jesus, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And Jesus alone is the prophet, priest, and king of kings. 
who is the good shepherd who delights to carry our burdens. And he encourages us who follow him to carry one another's burdens. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chain shall he break, for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim his power and glory evermore proclaim Amen Let's pray Gracious God we thank you for your wisdom in Jesus the shepherd sins forgiven life restored by your grace may we fall on our knees and hear the angel voices O night divine O night when Christ was born Christ is the Lord we praise his name forever the power and the glory forever are yours Amen Um, we're going to stand and sing O Holy Night, so yeah, yeah let's stand until it's singing.